Hello, folks. If you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. You know I'm going. You know it, people. I am taking the family to New York City, Christmas time, Aladdin, and I'm using Game Time. I love it. Very easy to use. Simple navigation. Good ticket deals. And a, a lot of available uh, venues for sports and or the theater. Well, Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. And here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Ticket section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, redeem the code the athletic. Once again, that's the athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make your moves quick and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnett. Are you ready to be entertained? Welcome to the Back to Back Podcast. It is Thursday, and that means this is Nerder She Wrote. I'm your host, David Ford, joined, as always, by Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. What's up, fellas? Is it snowing up there, uh, Seth? Uh, it snowed uh, in Milwaukee uh, a couple days ago, but it's, it's just wicked cold here today. Man, it was chilly. I, I had to put on my little North Face slippers to walk around the house because the floor was cold. Um, my dog... My dog was really fast to come back inside because it was so chilly. I mean, L.A. is freezing right now. I mean, it's like 50 degrees, like it, 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 very uncomfortable. Yeah, as as we're recording this, uh, it is 58 degrees here. Um, so, you know, it definitely warmed up. I mean, it's I, nice and sunny. I'm, I'm bundled up in my in my little room here recording and, and got a hood on and everything. So, I mean, it's cold, Seth. Yeah. <laughs> no more bear stories this week? No. 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 All right. Well, listen. I mean, we uh, talked about we Fargo are... yesterday. Let's 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 not go wildlife again today. Oh yeah, yeah. None of that. Uh I mean, you all it, talked about gonna... Fargo yesterday. I had takes. But continue. <laughs> uh we're about a third of the way through the season uh at this point. Uh, most of the teams have played between like 26 and 30 games. So uh, it's a good time for a little game I like to call. Is it time to blow it up? Uh, guys, I'm going to name some teams and we're going to discuss whether it's time to blow it up. Now, th- this won't be teams like the Golden State Warriors, of course, because they already blew it up or, you know, Kevin Durant blew it up and injuries blew it up. Uh, and the Atlanta Hawks, who were bad, but. They just blew it up, which is why they're bad. Uh, But some of the teams that expected to be okay and, you know, have struggled a little bit. And uh, the first team I want to start with, the San Antonio Spurs. As of the time of this recording, they are 10 and 16. Uh, They've been really bad. They've got kind of a weird roster. Seth, is it time for the Spurs to blow it up? (laughs) 
Yes. Um, the, um, we'll get Jade. Jade will add that in, that yeah. in the post. You don't have to do it live. <laughs> oh, but I was so good at it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. You were, you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's go with that. Yeah, yeah you were, you were, you were good. Well, let's build his confidence up, Dave. Yeah, you're really good at it. Yeah, we, we could remake <laughs> the Police Academy and just have Seth. Um, you know. Oh, uh, no, I mean, it, it's, it, um, I'd argue it's, probably two years too late i think they made the wrong decision i understand why but i think they made the wrong decision about where to go moving on from Kawhi. i think it got uh the fact that uh they made every jump shot they took last year sort of obscured where they were and now in the uh as i describe it in my piece that's uh coming out today the post bertans era it's uh it's it's not uh like i don't i just don't think that they have kind of the, the group together that can either score or defend at a super high level. And they're almost, since they're relying so much on guys who are, I don't want to say dinosaurs, but certainly anachronistic that it's hard to see what they're building towards with uh, Aldridge and DeRozan being as central to what they do as they are. Um, tell me well, what... And- and they're they're in this weird spot because DeRozan is an expiring contract, or I guess he can opt out this summer. So they have a decision to make, right? Like, do you try to move him, or do you hang on to him? And the Spurs have never really made mid season moves. Well, ever it's it's kind of an interesting situation with the Spurs right now because it doesn't this doesn't get talked about much, but it's not even RC that's really the head of the head of the front office anymore. It's Brian Wright. You know, RC is kind of moving on to the business side of things. And so, you know, we talk about it and, and and I'm guilty of it too, saying like, you know, it's not in the Spurs DNA to, to make an in season trade, but you know, they're, they're kind of going through a change a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start to kind of explore that. Um, You know, the one thing that kind of surprised me in the off season as, you know, Seth alluded to this being the, post Bertans era like that's like the perfect Spurs guy right and the fact they were willing to move on from him to sign Marcus Morris and, and and we know what happened in that situation but like Marcus Morris doesn't seem like a Spurs type guy right like he's a ball stopper he, you know I mean he can shoot and everything but it's not like he's a guy that constantly moves the ball and plays really well in a full-on system whereas Bertans did so it was kind of weird in the first place that they were willing to kind of get rid of Bertans to bring in Morris. So, you know, like this, I actually have a, I think I know why though. So they're currently 22nd in defense. And I think that they see him as like a tough guy and he could have come in and helped with that toughness on the defensive end that they feel like they were lacking last year. I think that that's the, the thinking, but you know, the way pop talks the about Nixon defense, uh, pretty, pretty bad. Worse, worse than the Spurs. They're 25th. Right. But the way, but yeah. also the way Pop talks about Bertans, it's more than he, him just as an offensive player. I think he really values Bertans as a basketball player, as a, a, a total, you know. And, and and he may not be great defensively, but he wasn't like I never felt like he was so bad, you know. But the, yeah, but he was nailed to the bench in the playoffs for them, and they really could have used his shooting. Yeah, I mean, also we, we got to credit Bertans for he wasn't shooting the piss out of the ball the way he is this year. Like, I mean, as he was good last year. This year, he's freaking on fire. I mean, he's that meme of a dude walking that's literally on fire as we talk. I mean, we've, we've seen the Fred Katz uh, practice videos of him yeah. pulling up from like 40 feet like it's nothing. Well, but, but, but this is the this is the thing, though, right? 
is that he left the Spurs, which is a team that seems like it's stuck in 10 years ago. And he's on the Wizards, which have they've told him explicitly that there's no such thing as a bad shot for you. Yeah, no, no. That, that's the difference. But I'm not. But that's that's the thing, though. It's like I'm still surprised the Spurs are willing to walk off from him or, or willing to move him to, to kind of create space for a player that really doesn't fully fit their system. And I think that's part of that too. Is that's RC no longer running the show, and that's Brian Wright. And I think when we talk about the Spurs, you know, blowing it up this year, and and we've all said it. I mean, I know I've said it for sure. Like it's not in their DNA. But I kind of recalculate a little bit, going like. We don't know what their new DNA is right now because it's Brian Wright that's kind of heading things. And I'm I'm very curious to see what they do because they do have some interesting young guys. Lonnie Walker has been playing really well lately and, and, and coming on after a slow start and stuff like they should blow it up. They should start building around those young guys. But it's we're all kind of just hesitant, right, to kind of say like they're going to pull a trigger on something. Uh, Yeah, I, I don't I don't see them doing it. That's the thing is like. I th- I think that you know, and they're not that far out of the eight seed. The eight seed might not even make five hundred this year, so that's one thing. But I just it, I think I feel like it's it's hard for this team to admit mistakes, and a course correction at this point would be sort of doing that, right? Yeah, and also I mean we're like we're we're talking about like not will they blow it up, but should they? And that's that's you know. Uh, and part of, I mean, also should they like, will anyone let them also, they, they don't have because of some of the, 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 the kind of the pieces they, they have to move to start over again, aren't right. the most saleable. Like Rudy Gay is probably the easiest guy to move. And, and, but the, he's, he's also not the guy you, who's necessarily blocking kind of their younger guys. And it's, it's mostly, right. it's really mostly DeRozan. Because I don't like, you know, I, I don't think that there's a natural kind of big man successor like Pirtle is 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 gonna is is fine. He's a nice solid kind of mid tier big, guy. yeah, yeah. Um, but really, the the guys that they really need to get get going on figuring out what they have are the you know the Dejounte Murray's, the Derek Whites, the Lonnie Walkers. Um, you know, figuring out what the the limit of of like Bryn Forbes' skill is. Like maybe as right. good as he's been for them for as long as he has, and he's been pretty good this year too. Like, you know, would would uh, is Patty Mills someone who might be interesting to to, to someone? And not that he's a bad I player. I think he would be. Yeah, and not that he, no, I think I, he'd be extremely valuable. Yeah. And, and I mean, could you imagine Patty Mills on the Lakers? Oh man, like that's yeah, right, right, yeah. And you could, you could get access for that guy. Well, right. I, I mean, a guy who who is a great ball mover, uh, not a total loss on defense. I mean, he's not a great defender, but he does his job uh, and can shoot like that. Come on. And he, so he has value. But so I, I think it boils down to this, though. OK, so it's pretty clear that that DeRozan is kind of in the way of the young guards. That's that's where all their youth is. It's all these guards. But what if these guards aren't good enough to build around? And so you're you're going to tank to to build around these guys for no good reason because we know it's a bad draft year. We've talked about this. Um, so what like what if Dejounte isn't you know uh, let's say a, a a second banana type of talent where you're trying to you know you're trying to find a lead guy you know you're trying to find Kawhi Leonard is really what it is. And by the way, this team would probably be killer with Kawhi Leonard on it. Um, to, you know, to steal some like 
you know, some startup wisdom fail quickly, like find out. I think that, that for, for if, if these guys aren't good enough, um, I, you know, if, if Derek White's not someone that they, that they want to give a big extension to coming up, um, I'd rather know that he's not than go into, and then, you know, maybe, you know, we'll offer him 16 and maybe he'll play into it. And no, I'd rather just like him being just bad. And I'm not saying he's going to be, but him being just bad and them realizing, nah, that's not it. That's tremendously valuable for a team that's trying to, you know, move up. I think so many of the teams that kind of get stuck in the middle are, you know, one of the teams we've, we talked about in this area a lot before is Orlando. And you look at they never really found out because of both their team construction and some unluck, some bad luck with injuries. They never really found out what Aaron Gordon was going to be, what his top end was before they they signed him to his second contract. And he's he's fine. He's good. He's probably just about value on that contract. But, you know, you would you'd so much rather just know going in and then you can, you can plan, you can like, okay, we've recovered there or we need help there. Um, instead of you just, now you're doing this thing where you're making decisions based on guys you're not sure are actually like good enough for the role you're penciling them in for. And then that leads to all kind of weird stuff. Like then you do some weird stuff in the draft. Oh, we can't draft another ball handler because we have, you know, Dejounte Murray. And it's like, well, if you don't know if he's good enough or not, like that, that that's the kind of thing that leads you to making some some strange draft picks. Like well, that's why. And those re- remember those guys lose value. Yeah. Right. Like the longer you wait to to see what you've got, like the less valuable that guy is. So like if Aaron Gordon is traded before he signs that extension, you get more in return than you would if they traded him right now. Yeah, yeah. I, for sure. And I think, you know. Seth touched on a really important point is knowing what the guy is or what the guy isn't is so much better than playing that, that almost that game of like, well, he kind of can do this kind of can do that. We don't know yet. The longer you wait, the worst. And I think, you know, Derek White's a great example of it. Aaron Gordon's a great one. And, and like you said, Dave, right. Making the move before you trade him, before you sign him to an extension is kind of what allows you to get the most. But also the one thing too, that we never talk about with trades is kind of like the matchup of salaries. Like everybody always wonders what you can get for Kyle Kuzma, you know, with the Lakers. But the thing about Kyle Kuzma is he makes no money. Like you're not getting much back for a Kyle Kuzma, you know? And I think playing that game with Gordon, like on under a rookie contract, he was a top pick. So he's probably getting around like what, eight, nine million. So you can get a decent thing. Right. But like now with this, you're at least going to be able to get a couple of pieces for him. Like I don't think the and, – and I think any team that's trading for him, they're they're rolling the dice on thinking they know what he's going to be. You know, and we're using Aaron Gordon, not sure if he's going to be traded or not or anything like that, but just right, using right. him as an example so people don't go nuts. But like they they when you're trading for a guy, you're looking at it going like this is what he can be for us. Part of it is you're hoping this is what he could be. And, and a lot of times, you know, there are situations where like you're right and there are times where you are dead ass wrong and you're in a bad situation after that. Yeah. And you have an – when you have the guy on his rookie contract, you have the advantage of being able to see him every day. And – but if you're not giving – if you're not really giving a chance to see how it looks in in like real situations, then you're almost forfeiting that advantage. And that's so – 
So that's, you know, when you, you block kind of young players with veterans who aren't necessarily taking you anywhere, like on one hand, there is something to, you know, earn your minutes, blah, blah, blah. But on the other, like you, you don't, you can only do that for so long. And then you have to make a decision on a guy where you've seen him in a frontline role for half a season. And now right. you're now you're just you're you're operating in you've basically forfeited your informational advantage, which is you know one of the one of the biggest things of of you know getting the guy in early is you get to you get to know about him. And then you know if you find yourself in that zone of uncertainty, like humans be humans being what they are, you you fall prey to like natural optimism bias and it's like ah we don't know about this, but yeah it'll probably work out. And then you talk yourself into you know an extra million here, extra million there. And in a salary cap league, like you do that two or three times and now you can't afford that seventh man that your team needed to really put you over the top because you, you know, you, you gave up an extra 2 million in, in like three or four smaller deals. Cause you didn't, you weren't, you didn't dial in what you had well enough. And that's, you know, yeah, it's worst case scenario kind of stuff, but still. And there's an argument that people make, like, oh, if this young guy is so good, why isn't he beating out veterans for minutes? There's an inherent bias from most coaching staffs toward veterans. Just, like, they just trust them more. So that sometimes bakes into that. I feel like the Spurs have done that a lot with guys. DeJounte being one of the guys that they haven't. that they, I mean, as a rookie, they just threw him in there. And so... To see, like, I mean, he he was pulled out of the starting lineup at one point. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. I get it, uh, and he hasn't been good recently. Um, but you still, I think, you got to like sink or swim with these young guys because you. This is clearly not a team that's. I don't even think it's a playoff team at this point. But there are well, times. But there are times like the 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 Murray thing, and it and it kind of goes to, we don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. Right. Like there's that whole thing. Like, cause I'm with you. I was surprised when I was like, well, why isn't he starting or anything like that? And, you know, for all we know, he's not putting in any, the, the, the work in practices or, or whatnot, or his efforts been really bad, or he's been, we don't always know that full story, but I, I would actually give them the benefit of the doubt in that situation with him. Because like you said, I mean, they threw him straight into the fire right away. Like, yeah, we're, we're going, we're rolling with you for a while. And if he wasn't responding then they're not going to, you know, Pop's not just going to stay with that, right? Like you got to show him like, yo, you got to earn that just because you're the the guy we believe in. If you're not giving us anything in practice or you're not putting in the effort that you need to be putting in, like we're not just going to allow you to coast through. Like that's that's actually kind of almost like on a, a coaching aspect of it going like, yo, like this is a coach saying like, nah, dude, like – you got to put the work in to earn that starting spot and that can be taken away. And I think for young guys, sometimes they almost feel the entitlement that they should be starting. And I think sometimes you got to get, get that out of their system to, to help them grow as players. Can I offer an All alternative right. hypothesis? Oh. Uh Oh yes. No, no. So it's like, or it may just be simple basketball reasons. Hey, we can't start three non shooters and uh, Oh wait, we've got, you know, or three, you know, and but they and, did it. And, yeah, they but, were doing you're it. right. But that's because but it's because the, the two of them are your the, these veteran anchors. And so like right. even like, OK, maybe it's maybe it's some of this behind the scenes stuff or maybe it's just like like team construction stuff. And that, you know, he's not he's never probably going to be a, you know, a lights out shooter. So he's going to need shooting around him. And the, the two guys you have penciled into your lineup are, you know, 
you know, mid-range captain A and B. And so you've, you've already put him in a context to not utilize his skills to the best. So that, so it's, even if you're not explicitly blocking him, you're, you're functionally blocking him because of, of you're, you're putting him in a situation where, you know, he's not best equipped to succeed and would it be better if he was a shooter? Sure. But for where your franchise is going forward, figuring out what situations you can use him in rather than, you know, the, 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 the round peg in a square hole that you know he doesn't fit in has value. Okay. Team two, the Detroit Pistons. Uh, they're just always in the middle of the pack. Nothing special. Made the Blake Griffin trade. Blake was good. Now Blake is, you know, looking hurt. Um, Andre Drummond, they have a decision to make on him. Uh, they, they've they wanted to move Reggie Jackson essentially since they signed him. Uh, I'm going to start with Mo. Mo, would you blow it up or would you just try to make the playoffs? I mean, I I think they should blow it up. It's uh, a hard thing is they have pieces that I don't feel like anybody really wants. You know, I they, they've been trying to trade Reggie Jackson for how long? They've been trying to trade Andre Drummond for a while. You know, like they're, they're in that really kind of tough spot. But they... I don't even know where they're going from here. You know, now that it looks like it sucks, Blake doesn't look like he's ever really going to have a fully healthy season again. Um, and that's disappointing and that's just bad luck. But like, where are you going from here now? Like, I just don't understand it. Like, are you going to, if you're not going to sign Drummond to a long-term deal, then you got to move him. You got to get something for him, right? Cause he's going to be a free agent. Somebody's going to offer him a, a big contract. So you, you might as well try to get something back for him at this point. If you could find somebody to take Reggie Jackson, man, ship him the hell out of there, please. But you know, they're just, they're just in that weird spot and they've been running on that treadmill of mediocrity for what, like five or six years now at this point, they've whiffed a few times in the draft. Like Stanley Johnson just hasn't, you know, was a guy that never panned out for them, no longer on the team. And, and you know, they're, they're just in that tough, tough spot. But I think they just got to bottom out here, man. Like they're they're yeah. one good piece is Luke Kennard, and I don't know if that's that great of a piece. Um, teams are going to be inter- would be interested in him, but I don't know if they want to move him. But I also don't know if you know when you're tanking if he's a guy you're going to really want. All right, Seth. So I- I'm assuming that you're on the blow it up train. Yeah, they're <clears throat> the question is how. Like as Mo said, there's not a lot of there. There's, you know, they might just be in a situation where kind of almost do nothing and just kind of kind of uh, you know you you if you're at the beach and you build a sandcastle and it's ugly, do you want to take the time to to take it down or just wait for the tide to come in and wash it away? And that's more almost where they are is maybe they're going to just have to take some bumps for a year or two or maybe a little longer and not do anything to make it worse and then try to with their with their kind of moves around the edges in that time start to you know restock their their future picks and and get some young players that are you know can complement uh canard who looks you know looks like an nba like a like a guy who's going to be in the nba for a long time like uh is he a guy you build around uh, almost certainly not is he a guy who'd be useful as you build probably 
Right. Um, but adding, but like the worst thing they can do is to try to buy themselves out of a hole. And that's how, that's how teams get into like the Knicks and Nets scenario where they're just bereft of hope for, you know, for, for years on end. And, and, you know, I think the Nets in a way are instructive because they didn't really have any moves to play and they just kind of, you know, they focused on building a system and building a culture and, and finding some, you know, some good young guys around the edge uh, and use the, use those years kind of in the wilderness to do that, to kind of, you know, find a Spencer Dinwiddie, find a Joe Harris. Uh, and, and maybe that's where Detroit should be focusing instead of trying to, you know, buy their way out of a problem and in fact and end up digging themselves in deeper. Because I don't really see an easy path to dealing their way out of kind of their their salary cap log jam. Right. Well, the, the, yeah. the reason I picked Detroit and San Antonio in particular is not because they're similar because clearly they're not. But uh, the similarity is that they don't have the luxury of attracting free agents. It is a much tougher decision to tank, I think, when you have no hope whatsoever of signing free agents. You like I hanging out th- in the middle. I, like, there's value to making the playoffs every year for the Spurs. Same with the Pistons. But I think I also think some of that goes to the importance of player development, and that like if you're a place that's not going to have be able to bring in free agents and things like that. And and part of what made the Nets so good was like, they're just focused on player development and really kind of intent on like, we're going to work around the guys in the margins. We're going to build these guys up. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie was with the Pistons, right? Like yeah. that's, that's where he came from for before he went to the Nets, you know, like that's, you know, that's just kind of like a development thing. Like they missed out on a guy they had in their system that maybe they didn't believe in. Maybe he had to mature a little bit when he got to Brooklyn and, and all of that. But like, it comes down to player development for them. Like, that's really what they should focus on. They should blow it up, bottom out and just focus on, we got to focus on player development and, and, and work on being able to build these guys up to the point that then we can start to be something. Uh, because you know what? Detroit's probably never going to be a free agent destination. I mean, what was the last big free agent they signed? Okay, good. So like yeah. that right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that says everything. So, you know, it's, 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 it's that situation for them. Like they're a small market team basically, and they got to build that way. And I think they're for a while that, that championship run that they had in the early two thousands, like they felt like, okay, now we're going to be able to be this team. And they've never really kind of gotten back to being able to develop and, and work these guys in and, and stuff like that. I mean, Canard's the closest thing we've had to them, developing a player recently back to back listeners this is jade the executive producer and when we talk about physical fitness we talk about it a lot but there's another side of the game that's just as important i'm talking about mental fitness people calm the number one app for sleep and meditation has teamed up with the king lebron james to help you train your mind who would have thought this we're working with LeBron now. You know what I'm saying? LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. I tell this to the kids all the time. Grace and Sadie, sleep. 
Water. Physical exercise. I need that water app, LeBron. You know what I'm saying? For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at Calm, C-A-L-M dot com forward slash back. Forward slash back. That's B-A-C-K. Unlock the content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Trust me. Uh, check it out. You know what I'm saying? And get started at com.com forward slash back. That's com.com forward slash back. I thought uh, kind of a follow-up to our player development conversation from, from last week, we could talk about scouting reports. I mean, we could probably do a 10-part series on how to make a scouting report, but I'm really interested in, in, you know, you guys work for NBA teams, so I'm really interested because you hear a lot about scouting reports and you watch guys like that young, only has a left hand, but somehow still gets shots up with the left hand. Uh, we're seeing the same thing with Sabonis. Um, how the heck does a scouting report come together? And I want both perspectives. Like So, like, my assumption is there's a funnel and you guys are throwing information into it and then it goes into one thing. That's how it operated for me. So, I mean, let's start with Mo. Mo, how much, like when you're putting together a scout for a game, where do you start? I mean, me just because also it was my department, you know, we just started with the video, right? Like that was kind of the breakdown. Like we would, uh, let's see, the Lakers are playing the Bucks on Thursday night. You know, if I'm a Laker video guy, I have broken down the last five games of the Bucks before they've played us and looking for all the tendencies. They run whatever play elbow action, you know, the most. And after that, they go to a high pick and roll or, uh, you know, Brooke Lopez post up this many times and things like that. And so I'm looking for all the tendencies offensively. I'm looking for tendencies defensively. You know, they're in drop coverage this amount of time in pick and rolls. They they like to double the post or they play this straight up or whatever. I'm looking for all the tendencies so that I can go back to the coaches and go like, hey, these are the sets they run. Here are some examples of everything. This is the this is the defense they tend to stay into. Like this is the stuff we like, you know, I think we should maybe run against them. So you kind of start building all that stuff. And then you're you're also constantly adding stuff in terms of a personnel file. Like you were talking about how, you know, Thad Young's still able to always get to his left hand and, and same for Sabonis, you know, and things like that. Like it's not that we're not showing it to the guy like, hey, he's gonna try to spin to his left. It's just, hey, this guy's been going up against people who know he forever that he's been wanting to go to his left and he's still able to get there. He knows how to get to his left. It's you know, it's it's just one of those things where like we're trying to drill that down to guys and it's hard to do almost game to game. I mean, it's a little easier in the playoffs, especially on the personnel side of things. But I think that's kind of where it starts. And then, you know, we get, you know, a stats package from our uh, from our analytics departments or we're we're looking it up ourselves and, and, and saying like, OK, this team likes to shoot X amount of threes. They like to get a ton from the corner and, you know, trying to keep an eye on everything like you're just basically trying to build together a whole sort of compass of, of, of like, this is the team. Like this is, this is what this team has been the last five games. And this is what we can expect when we play them. So, uh, that's kind of where it goes. And then you're getting a lot of play calls from your advanced scouts who hopefully are really good and, and, and helping you there and helping you label, label the, the, the play calls. 
the hardest job in the NBA? Or at least you, you have to be, I don't know. You have to be like a basketball it's psychopath. It's the loneliest job in the NBA. It's a really, if you really want to think about it, it's, think about it this way. If you're the Clippers scout, you are rarely around your organization. You're constantly all over the country. You're in a different city every night watching a new game. And you do, you're right, Dave, you do have to be a basketball psychopath to degree because you're in every arena sitting down watching games and and hopefully you have a good enough seat and you're staring at coaches trying to be able to figure out you know what play they're calling and sometimes you're diagramming stuff sometimes you're writing reports that night but it's a pretty lonely job i mean it's you and all the other scouts you know and that's about it but you're constantly just on the road yeah and also like the just the way the information like you distill the information is so black and white like unemotional just here is exactly one passes the ball to five five two points right that could be an (laughs) alley-oop and 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 that's that's the part that really like is the saddest for me uh ethan strauss on the athletic actually a a while back wrote a great piece kind of profiling advanced scouts and and so if you haven't read that and you're listening go and look at that uh seth from from the analytics department side how much of a contribution are you making on these scouting reports, you know, game by game? So there's, there's a, I think it's unique to each coach, what they want, how much detail. Um, we, like I worked with, with two kind of coaching groups in my time in Milwaukee and one group, uh, liked very detailed information. The other group did not. Uh, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. It's just, you know, with the amount of data we have in terms of of kind of player tendencies and like, OK, on a right wing pick and roll, this, he rejects the screen X percent of the time. You can you can get down to that level of stuff, uh, you know, uh, and but whether or not that stuff is useful and actionable on a game to game basis, um, you know, some some coaches like to have it at their fingertips as a reference in case they need it. And some on a game to game basis don't care. But there's there's a, a agreed upon set of stuff that is that that you now if as an analytics department if you haven't set it up so that it's kind of the the suite of stuff that you do for every game uh, is is able to be generated at kind of the click of a button in in a couple minutes um, you've, you've probably done something wrong uh, but that's you, you kind of at the start of the year training camp maybe couple check-ins over the course of a year to kind of iterate and and make sure that the the information that's being passed on as a matter of course is uh you know uh homogenous game to game and then there, there's also like you know specific teams you know uh uh how does this team play on a back-to-back uh, how does this team play with this player out how is this team uh what's their shot profile look since they made this trade you know some some of these um scenarios that, that that kind of come up that aren't necessarily um they're common but they're not universal to every game so it might not be something that's part of every stats package but would be like hey in this game we are wondering about how they've been since okay they're you know they're they're you know say it say we're mid-march and someone's playing the pelicans okay zion's been back for 10 games what is their what does their their offense look like since he's been back Okay, okay, we can see what it's been for the full season, but we really care about the last 10 games kind of thing. Uh, might be a situation you run into. So, um, 
at a high level that's there's that and then obviously the playoffs is the ability to dial in and get really specific like most talking about or you're you're talking about you know a left-hander i think left-handers probably have a little bit of an advantage you know over the course of regular season because most guys aren't left-handed so yeah he's left-handed oh shit he's left-handed like he's got to go left on you once and then you realize it because you know it's your it's your third game in five nights in three different cities and you've guarded you know three different power forwards and oh yeah that's right this guy i mean that's why ben simmons plays basketball with his left hand 100 percent. because he could be tricksy no somewhat yeah i mean i think it might have been his dad was like no you're left-handed you're gonna play (laughs) left-handed thanks dad (laughs) yeah but which hand do I shoot with? Right, right. We'll figure it out. We'll yeah. figure that. We'll figure that one out later. Uh, with the KOC jump on the call, that got weird. No, uh, no. I mean that that's legit. <laughs> like he he said that in an interview. But but yeah, you're right. Okay, so so this isn't so much the the scout not working as it is uh, you're dealing with human beings. Is what you're saying? Yeah, and basketball and players are human the, beings. The amount, and, yeah, and the amount of like adjustments you can do game to game in a regular season. And and most talked about this before. I think it's, I lean towards more that it's pretty limited. The amount of, of specific kind of stuff you can do now, maybe, you know, there's a situation, all right, we're playing the Rockets tonight. So we're doing something different. We're going to, you know, hard double harden to take the ball out of his hand. So we're going to do something very different. That stuff probably comes up, but mostly you're kind of doing what you do. And sometimes that means that that you don't always immediately – you're not immediately ready at the tip for like an, a, an opponent's pet move just because you – the last time you saw that guy was eight weeks ago. Right. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to touch on too is that you don't have you, – you also have to be careful to sort of overload of information yes you know like the importance seth is talking about kind of setting the parameters with your coaching staff in terms of these are the stats we're going to give you for game to game reports for you to excuse me for you to work on and, and and have ready to roll um because you can get too many you know and sometimes that's that's almost my argument sometimes with some of the 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 analytics world sometimes it's like man sometimes we just got too many numbers and it's and, and and it's hard to cipher. And these numbers might be great, but it's but it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is kind of just having a, a, a core of certain stats that you you consider valuable that will help you discern what you need to discern so that you can build your game plan with. And I think you you kind of just build on that because also you can't overload the guys with that stuff, you know, yeah. like. Film sessions, you know, I used to be part of a coaching staff where a film session was 30 minutes long. And it was like, man, we had dudes falling asleep in the film session. I fell asleep in a film session once. We're in a film room. It's dark. It's comfortable seats, man. It's easy to fall asleep in those things. Um, you know, and 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 you just kind of got to sort of just hit your points and get in and out real quick. And so it's a matter of like not just the numbers but like the video and the amount of stuff you walk through on the court. Like you have a limited – attention span you can only hit so many things and i think that's why it's important almost to just try to stay within your team defensive philosophy when you're going game to game during the season and 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 just build upon that as you move forward because it's it's it can be daunting and and there are extenuating circumstances you're on a four games and five nights situation you know you're in a tough situation like 
you're not going to, the guys aren't going to be fully engaged in that fourth game. So you kind of got to know how much you can give them and how, and when to kind of pull back and not give them as much. Is it possible that, that the game by game scouting report is wasted energy for teams? Maybe, maybe this is just going to go away. Um, Seth, I think you and I have talked about teams that are, are eliminating the advanced scout uh, until they're, until they know the playoff matchups. I don't know how, how up on that you are. Um, but is it possible that, that teams will just stop doing scouting reports during regular season, at least? I think there's no, I don't think teams are ever going to stop because there's, there's, you know, a quick refresher on this is their personnel. Oh, this guy, this guy's a great three point shooter. This guy's a non shooter. Just like some quick, Oh yeah, that's who, you know, just a, uh, 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 a, a reminder of, of who they are. I don't think there's, I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think the level of detail on a game to game basis, I think my impression is that there is at one point the idea that more information is better. And I think that as like, as most pointing out, there's a, there's, there's, there's diminishing and probably negative returns at a certain point, because if you're in a game and you've been given so much information that you have to take the extra little half a beat to make the decision, the decision is wrong no matter what you do. Like you're already wrong because you're late. So it's almost better to be incorrect but on time um, and, and than it is to be, to be right and late because at least you can correct that, right? Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, making, you know, two or three things that, that players can execute on. And there are, you know, there are rare exceptions. I mean, obviously Shane Battier has kind of made a post playing career out of his ability to calculate on the fly, but that's, you know, that's one guy. And Michael Lewis is not writing profiles of, of, of many other guys just yet. So, you know, that's a, that's a fairly unique situation in terms of a guy who's, actually able to take on and utilize some of the super detailed stuff on a game to game basis. So yeah, keeping it, keeping it simple. So guys can, can just, you know, play you, you want to, you know, you want to direct the playing the effort in the right directions, but you can't, you can't control, you have to direct. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the art of it. Right. Right. Mo is kind of set up the structure. So they, they're kind of, they're, their skills and natural tendencies they've developed over their lifetime of learning how to play basketball take over and lead to good spots rather than, you know, well, coach said, go here. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's as simple as that. Like you just want to kind of get, let the guys know what's coming. Hey, we're going to see a bunch of screen and rolls tonight. This is how we want to cover them with this guy. And, and if this one's in the pick and roll, we want to blitz it instead of, you know, being drop or things like that. And, and yeah, just, you just want to get to the point so that it's exactly as Seth said, like these guys will just, their, their instincts will take over and they'll be ready to roll. I, I did want to say just one thing, Dave, the, a lot of the reason why the advanced scout position has been cut back isn't because teams aren't valuing scouting as much as they are. It is an expensive position to have. Right. And a lot of teams are doing now is regional scouts. And so, like, let's put it to you this way. If you're a team in, in, in the Western Conference, it's smart to have a regional scout in L.A. because they're going to be able to go to Clippers and Laker games, see double the amount of games, and you're paying these dudes two, $300 a game versus when you have an advanced scout, you're paying for flights, hotels, 
uh, obviously a salaried position, uh, benefits, all of those things like you're cutting out for DM is a big one, you know, and you're cutting out a ton of, you know, you're, you're, you're cutting costs. And I know for people that people are just rolling their eyes going like these teams make, you know, millions of dollars. How, you know, their front office budget is, is different than the operating budget for the team though. Right, exactly. And I think so it's not so like when teams are cutting down on region on on advanced scouts, it's not because they don't value the scouting reports. It's just a matter of they found a way to do this cheaper because really what the teams need more than anything is play calls. They ran elbow four with three minutes left to go in the first quarter because that gets relayed to the video guy and then I can match that up with the video. And then I have a, I label it that way. So later if a coach goes, Hey, I need an example of one. They've ran elbow four. Cool. I can go into, you know, sports tech or whatever technology people are using now and pull up all the elbow fours and find a good example. Now, hopefully I've done a good job and they all should look relatively the same. There are times where you might get conflicting reports and you're like, yo, that's not really elbow four. that, that might be different or whatever. But that's really kind of what you need from your advanced or regional scout. So I think that's something that that I just kind of wanted to touch on a little bit with that. Yeah. All right, guys, what are you, what are you looking ahead to next week? I'm not sure if we're going to be putting out a show next week because of the holiday, but uh, you know, looking ahead is always important. Mo, I mean, Mo, go first. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited for tomorrow's uh Lakers Bucks game. Uh you know, I I know we have the whole everybody says it's just one of 82 and everybody's going to try to play it down regardless of results or whatever, but you know, these games mean stuff and they mean stuff to both teams. And you know, I I, I don't buy into that that crap, you know, of like, oh, you know, this is just another game for us. Like, no, it matters. It, it, you know, almost as if sending a message. I mean, we saw yeah. it with the, the the message the Bucks sent to the Clippers. You know, if you don't come in here prepared, we're going to wax you. And they did. And they, they beat the crap out of a Clippers team that really wasn't ready for that kind of environment. And that that says something. So I'm kind of excited for that. I mean, really, that's the stuff I'm, I'm – that's just really a game I'm super excited to watch tomorrow. Hopefully it will be a good one. Which is fun, by the way. Uh, I don't know if, if either one of you guys watch Pacers, Lakers, but um, – Obviously, teams are getting up to play the Lakers, which is is awesome. But the Lakers, they just they are coming into these games like they want to win every single one. Like they want to go eighty two and zero. I know that they've lost four games, but they they want to now go seventy eight and four. And that is actually really cool that they're playing like LeBron James playing with a chip on his shoulder to a certain degree. Whether he's manufactured the washed king thing or not, um, he's playing like. Like he's got something to prove, which is, you know, it's fun. It's awesome. You like a chip on her shoulder, like Bruno Caboclo said something once over the summer, and now you're going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. The chip on his shoulder is yeah. two years away from being two years away from retirement. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, wow. I'm saying, you know, it's a 40 deep years. Cut. He's deep gonna, cut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are you watching? What are you going to be looking, looking out toward this week, Seth? I am. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to going to that game tomorrow as a as a birthday present for my wife, whose favorite player is LeBron James. So. Wait, you're going like you're going to sit in like regular seats? Yeah. Oh man, what's Let that like? Let me ask you a question. Did did the years that your your wife was a fan of LeBron did that that hurt you considering you were working for the Bucks? 
no, she was a fan of LeBron before I worked there. And, and, uh, let me see, he, he didn't play last year. And, and, uh, I think, I actually think she's, she only got, got a chance to see LeBron in person for various reasons once, uh, while, while I worked for the Bucks. So this is, she's, she's looking forward to it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for this Bucks Lakers game. It's the two best teams in the league. Uh, could be a finals preview. Um, I don't know. It depends on if Mo thinks the Bucks can get it done in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Oh, we're going to take I'm no, excited. no. We're going to take that parting <laughs> shot, and then and then and, and you don't get to take that shot as we're parting there, Dave. Oh yes, I do. I simply, my show. No, no, Mo. no, you don't. First off, it's mute. our show. Mute. It's not saying it's my show. It's our show. Okay, but the one thing I just all I'm saying about the Bucks is they're relatively the same team as they were last year, almost a little bit worse with. Brogdon not being there and I don't and them to me having one gear was a problem for them in the playoffs I would like to see them develop a second gear during the regular season this is a good time to they know they can win one way it's good to have other ways to do it I think that matters I think the regular season is a good time to kind of experiment especially when you have such a big margin ahead of the east so you know, I know you're trying to take that little that little parting shot there, Dave. But I'm just saying, you got to have more than one gear when you get to the playoffs. Yeah, that's not wrong. That's not wrong at all. That's a lot more nuanced than what you said to me the other night. Uh, that's it. Oh for- well, the stuff you were saying was crazy too. Don't don't whoa whoa. We're not going to go into they're the it. best team. They're the best team in the league right now. That's all. That's all that matters is that the Bucks are the best team in the league right now. Giannis, runaway MVP. Um, and that's it. That, that's that's how we're ending the show. Uh, thank you guys for listening. That is it for Nerdish She Wrote, for Mo DeKeel, for Seth Martinow. Thanks for listening. That's it for this week's show. For more Nerdish She Wrote on Overtime, go to The Athletic. If you're not already a subscriber, I've got news for you. You can save 40% on a year subscription to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash back to back. That's theathletic.com slash back to back.